Welcome to this special edition of the Beyond Listening podcast. It's Miriam Joy Jones, and yes, today you are in for a treat. Today you'll hear the series launch of Getting to Know You. Getting to Know You is a new monthly series by We Are Open Circle. We invite storytellers from around the globe to share their stories around a particular theme. The theme of this series launch is the art of listening, and you'll hear stories from a whole spectrum of people, from Indigenous elders to dancers to musicians to scientists to refugees to political activists. Sit back and enjoy. Dr. Jean Rooks. I am here honoring what was or is Duwamish myth land. And I listen with my hands. Um, to begin the story on when you're listening has was profoundly, how did listening profoundly change your life? Um, my first thought comes to understanding the human body, the form, what we're housed in, considering as our vessel, um, feeling how tonicity changes within the strands of our muscles, which is almost conducting how our bodies move and communicate with itself. And in turn, how that communication leads to the outside world. Um, my first story would be when I first learned to listen to the human form through my hands as a practitioner and understanding how we store our emotions, our grief, our happiness, our sadness within our muscles, our bones, our blood ancestrally. And once something is identified or recognized feeling that tone change, almost like the strings of a guitar, a loosening or even a tightening, depending on what's recalled. Understanding that the body has a language that is not unseen. It's actually very predominant in our face and in our words, but we are often um, blinded by that with facade or um, hiding under something, but the body never really lies. And that was something that I found comforting and also scary when I discovered it. Um, the comfort lies within knowing that even when someone can't tell me that they're in pain, their body will always let me know where and when and even sometimes why, um, the fear comes in when 
you consider yourself responsible for that pain as a practitioner thinking that it's your, it's your duty to be able to find the right string, the right cord to pluck. But I was profoundly changed knowing that we are conduits for these processes and for these journeys. We're here to play witness and what we can do for each other is just listen. Um, listening to our inner children, listening to the patterns that we have both retained within our bodies, as well as when they release, being there for those celebrations on letting go. Um, it profoundly changed my life because it showed me how important celebration is, how important listening is, and most importantly to me, how important community is to be able to have someone there to listen and also to witness. And then when those times become hard to celebrate. Thank you. Mosin Madawi. Um, my name is Mosin, like Moses with an N. Um, I listen with my heart, centered around compassion. And the story that has changed my life, it's more than a personal story. It's more of a story between two nations. In order to connect you with this story, perhaps I can start from my childhood. I am a Palestinian refugee. I was born and raised in a refugee camp. A refugee camp uh, that is uh, about a quarter of kilometer square or 63 acres with 10,000 people. As a third generation, I witnessed uh, a great deal of uh, fear and suffering as much as love and compassion there. But now I would like to chat and, and share with you the suffering part, the painful part, because it has a deep connection to the story that I want to deliver and uh, my realization in this world. Uh, when I was seven years old, I lived without my mother. At the age of eight, I lost my only brother was perished in my own arms and had to bury him. At the age of 10, I saw my best friend who was 12 years old, getting shot in, in front of me, a few feet away from me by an Israeli soldier and had to bury that friend as well. At the age of 11, I witnessed my uncle who get assassinated three bullets, one in the shoulder and two in the head. Also by the Israeli army on September 12, 2001. That's after September 11, 2001. And it happened to be my birthday, my 11th birthday. At the age of 12, I witnessed explosions that had shaken every atom of my body as a little kid. Heard the explosions, saw the fires, and went to the location to collect people's bodies 
shattered around the place, peeling their skin off the walls and honoring their body by putting them inside of plastic bags. At the age of 15, I was shot in my leg. Now you see this, probably you would have an understanding why a Palestinian refugee, a little kid, would grow up very angry about this world, wanted to revenge, was very hurt. But this is not the story that I would like to tell. This is a story of a whole nation. The story that I would like to tell that started about seven years ago when I came to the United States. Or I saw the Israelis and Jews as enemies. I wanted to take my land, who hurt me and hurt my people, who took my beloved ones away, who scared me and created my trauma. But when I came to the United States, I found myself connecting with people from different backgrounds. And among those different backgrounds, I connected with Jews and Israelis. For the first time in my life, I didn't see them as enemies. I saw them as humans. I paid attention to their stories. I heard theirs and they shared mine. And after listening a lot and sharing a lot, I came to a realization, a realization that there is no enemy. The idea of an enemy is a human made. And that if we connect heart to heart, eye to eye, open our hearts, and see each other as human beings, we can relate to each other's stories. And the idea of a victim no longer would exist because even my oppressor was an, a victim at some point, and this is a transferred energy. And the only way to break through it is by listening and paying attention and loving each other. This is the story has changed my life. And this is the story that keeps me aligned with my path moving forward, connecting with the human beings with a great empathy and seeing the oppressor as an oppressed person trying to understand that background. I am truly honored to share my story with you. And I believe this circle of sharing stories heart to heart is a way where we can become immortal because now you have part of my story, I have part of your story. Thank you. Lorenzo McDuffie. I'm Lorenzo and I live on the land of the Taino people. Uh, the Taino were the first inhabitants of what became Puerto Rico that was colonized by Spain, who also brought enslaved Africans uh, to work here. And I listened with my ancestors. I listened with my ancestors. And I do this often with my father. Every two years, my father and I traveled together to Georgia to visit the land where our ancestors built and cropped and harvested uh, a place called Lawrence Hill, 
a plantation that my people built in 1834 against their will, against fear, punishment. A lot of tragedy happened to my ancestors in slavery and also a lot of resilience and resistance that came with that. But that's not the story I wanna tell about the ancestors with my father. But on the way to these plantations, my father drove me to this raggedy motel and the pavement was cracked. It was bumpy, ashy, and he parked in front of motel room number eight. My father turned off the ignition of his truck and put his hands on his lap. And he told me these words, son, this is where me and your mama made you. He continued to say that your mama and I lived around the corner. He pointed his hand to a neighborhood. He asked me, do I wanna go see it? And I said, yeah. So he started the car with a truck. In less than 30 seconds, we parked in front of the home where my dad grew up with his mother and grandfather and siblings. And then he drove around the block and showed me it's an empty lot. And this empty lot was where my mom lived with her family, but the house no longer exists. Then we drove back to the motel. He parked in front of motel room number eight. He said, son, you're my firstborn. I will never forget when you came into my life when your mama told me she was pregnant. I asked my father, were you nervous? You were only 17. And he told me, I was a little bit nervous. Well, at least you get to know who I am because I never knew my own father. My father continued to tell me that he dreamed about me during my mom's pregnancy. He wondered what I looked like, what I would smell like, if I looked like him. And when I came into the world, he was very happy. He dropped out of high school and worked for the Pepsi-Cola company full-time yeah. for my mom and his baby boy. I never imagined my own father would be that way with me. But on that day, my father showed me that he can tell his oldest son about a beautiful event in his life and that I was the delight of his world in which he called me the apple of his eye. So in final words, I would say, I have learned that I can be that way with my own son. He's 11. And I can't wait to tell him some stories when he's old enough, but I hope I have the grace and the beauty and the imagery that my father shared with me. Kimberly Holloway. My name is Kimberly Holloway, and I am on the land of the, the traditional land of the Duwamish people, which 
is now Seattle. Um, I listen with my body. And I feel like growing up, I learned to listen to everyone else and everyone else's bodies and everyone else's messages and words and decisions. And I learned pretty successfully to not listen to my own body and emotions and being and desires and wants. Um, so after I like uh, started moving my body and dancing at a very young age, and I think that was a way to connect with my own body in this other uh, context of listening to everyone else all the time. And it was safe because there were rules and guidelines and someone telling you what to do and all of these things. But I think that as I grew older, I feel like one of the like big listening things that profoundly changed my life was just learning how to listen to my own body and the emotions that flow. And, um, and that sort of like has been a process over time, slowly but surely. And I'm still, still learning this listening. Um, but yeah, I think I would like to sort of tell the rest of this story with my listening body, because that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so if you really want, you can put music on in your space, but this is listening with breath. And listening to the air. And then there's so much time of listening to the different feelings and where they're stuck or not stuck. And then how do you go past the edges? And listening to let the outside in but also letting the inside flow out.
one of the first times I learned to listen to my body. Not the first, but kind of big moment of listening. I learned that when I feel stuck and still and not moving at all, it's usually because I'm angry. So if I don't move and I don't think and I don't do anything at all, I learned I was actually angry. So then slowly, I've taught my body how to let go of some of those things and breathe. Thanks. April Patillo. My name is April, April Patillo. And to acknowledge the place and context, I just wanna put out there that I recognize that acknowledgement alone is a small gesture that only becomes meaningful when actively coupled with authentic relationships and informed action. So it's my wish that this acknowledgement encourages all of us towards action, however big or small that may be. And in saying this, it's my wish that any of my unintentional mispronunciations of any community's names serve as a witnessing of the continuing impacts of colonization and the genocidal processes of forgetting. I'm a visitor to the traditional territories of native peoples in what's now called Flagstaff, which includes or touches on Dene, Havasupai, Poka'odam, O Odom, Hopi Tusqua, Hualapai, Pueblos, and Shawina territories. These ancestral homelands are also the current home of a diverse, vibrant group of these Native people's descendants, as well as descendants from the Caribbean and Africa, um, Europe, Canada, and other places that I can't currently name. So completing the sentence, I listen with presence, deep desire, and a sensory consciousness, which feels ironic because I love words. I love their flow. I love how they sound together. When we use them in a particular way. I love their precision. They move me. A well-formed sentence in a pop song can stick in my head for months. I love words. I have a sister who's deaf. Sorry. The story brings up emotion. One of my fondest memories of living with her, and she was a blast to have as a younger sister, centers around 
the secret world we created without words. We would spend hours watching TV in our bedroom that we shared. And we could do it because we would watch TV with the sound off. She didn't need the sound. She's deaf. My parents relied on sound to figure out if we were asleep or not. So we would communicate lip reading and using sign and gestures because she was learning ASL. And I, as an eight-year-old, was learning ASL. We created entire worlds. We created a language that we called Plutonian. We still use it to this day. My sister, is the first person who could ever understand me without ever uttering a word. And because of that, she understands my words. And I understood that words are not all, they don't encompass all of the language that we use. And it can be big movements. It can be the proximity or the closeness that we have. It can be the facial expressions. It can be the intake or the dispelling of air. It can be tears. It can be the angle with which we sit. But all of these for me are about that desire for a deeper context, a deeper understanding that requires a language that operates on multiple platforms. Thanks. Bryony Greenhill. I am loving this. Wow, I'm just so touched by everyone's share. Um, I'm in Thorpness in Suffolk, England, which, let me see, has been colonized by, in my memory, by the Romans, by the Angles, which was a German tribe, by the Saxons, which was a German tribe, by the Danes. Uh, we had a Danish king in 900 by the Vikings and then by the Normans and the Normans were the last ones. And before the Romans came, I learned yesterday, there was a tribe um, who had Boudicca, Bodicea, was like around here fighting off the Romans. I didn't realize she was a local last. So I'm in Boudicca country. Um, I, I listen with my whole being. Listening is, uh, is so precious to me, it's so sacred, um, because it's, it's the source of music. Um, and 
the moment when listening really changed my life. I was in India in 2009 and I had just submitted my PhD application and my GRE exam, which I'd done in Mumbai, really quickly studying maths because I wanted to redesign capitalism. And I'd like <laughs> worked so hard. I was studying yoga for a month at the Ayenga Yoga Institute. And I submitted everything, slept for 24 hours, woke up and went to the concert at the 30th birthday of the Ayenga Yoga Institute. And it was a, a violin player called Atul Kumar Padhai, and he started to play violin. And within moments, tears were running down my cheeks. I missed a bit. I like sat down, rewind. I like sat down, I was like, okay, that's it. I've done everything I can do. I've, you know, got all my ducks in a row. I've got my plan, I've got my da 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 da. And I went quiet and this little voice inside said, Yes, but what of the great Eastern sun? And I was like, huh? And then the music started to play and tears rolled down my cheeks. And before long, I had dissolved, like, like I had dissolved in God's heart, like I had dissolved in love, like I dissolved in bliss, like I was beyond my own borders. I had, I had grown up as a girl in a white, dominant culture, classical music, family, school, culture, improvising. And I was given piano lessons and then they were taken away because I was only improvising and composing and I was ignoring the dots and I wouldn't sing what I was told. I would sing what was happening. And I had a chronic sense of alienation and I couldn't find my way in life. I started a music degree. I left with like a mental breakdown. I, I couldn't, I couldn't find my way. I ended up studying political science and becoming a, a campaigner. And that lasted about a decade until this moment in India where I saw someone else improvise for the first time in my life. And it transported me to a different. state of consciousness or something <laughs> such limiting words for how it feels and he became my teacher and my old life just dissolved around me and I traveled to France and I traveled to the US and I found other improvisers and um, I became a teacher of improvising and I released albums improvising and I'm an improviser and when we improvise, we always start in silence and the listening to the moment and what's here right now, what's the music of this moment, this me, this you, this field, this earth, this spirit, this, this web of, of life. It's, it's, like a, it's like a council of all of life and whichever bit has a song for right now can like have the mic. And, and like, why would a culture shut that off and not allow any space for that? And so I guess what my work in the world is about is 
reopening the spaces for that. Oh, what little candlelight starts the unfolding of a dream. But if you stay in love with it day by day, it can unfold into a very big thing. Thank you, everyone. Mario Fernandez. My name is Mario Fernandez. Um, I belong to the land of Costa Rica, the blessed land where the deserts of the north of America touch to the rainforests of South America. It's a really, really nice place here, Costa Rica. And well, uh, yeah, I think that uh, being here has given me a lot of chances to listening with a lot of parts of my of me like human being but well basically the most i like to use to listen is my intuition for any kind of uh you know situations of of my life but basically well the first time that listening listening profoundly changed my life and gives me a basic analogy that I can transform and apply to a lot of situations of my life. You know, uh, was when I was like maybe seven years old. Thanks to my mom, she she put me in a music academy where I learned to play piano. So there, there I was, you know, with my my first piano concert. And I was playing with uh, like three more um, uh, students that were like really close friends to mine. And we were like very anxious about the, our first concert. We were, you know, like kids, four kids in a stage, you know, was like a lot of anxious. And I was like focused on, I have to know how my, you know, like my my partiture, my my lane of the of the song that we're going to play together perfectly, and I study and I focus on 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 my own part of the of the whole show. And when the days come, I was like, okay, I'm prepared, and we're going to have a huge show, a huge show, and everyone gonna love us because we we're gonna be you know like the kids and. Etc. Etc. When we get to the stage, and I begin to play, there was a totalness because uh, I was like playing in a tempo, and my other two friends were like going slow, and we have to stop and then repeat it again, and I feel so frustrated. You know, I was like okay this is my first time and I would like to do kind of like yeah I'm doing my best but I don't feel that I was you know like really um, like at the end of the story the show doesn't go like I was thinking and I was preparing to the next week that we got after the show um, you know like piano classes at the academy again 
our teacher, uh, Wendy B, a Chinese girl that was like my mentor for like maybe 10 years, she gave us a good like lesson, not for the, sh for, for the next show, for the live, I guess. And she said like, hey guys, how do you feel at the concert, at the stage? And I was like, teacher, you know, I, pre I, I, I study a lot. You know, I prepare my show and I think that we're gonna have a, a successful um, like song in front of all our families. And she said like, yes, I know you study a lot, but you don't listen. You don't listen to your partners. And when you're gonna play in a band with two, four or five and musicians, you have to listen the other, not just hear the music. You have to listen who is around you and you have to compliment. You are not the best like music player in a band. It's not the one who leads like with the solo, with the sound. It's the one who can compliment the other parts of the band. And I was like, really, you know, I was very young and I don't get it. I don't realize like the huge amount of wisdom she was given to me in that moment. But later, you know, when I get older and older and 30 years later in this moment has been, you know, like a, a lesson that I always have in my mind. Like, listen, listen who is around you. Listen to your family, to your friends, to your couple, to your work partners, because the success you can have through your life is not about how you do your job the best you can. Is how you can listen, not hear, because anyone can hear, is listen who is next to you who is joined with you in your life journey and how can you complement to get through any kind of situation, um, music talent show, a project, um, any kind of situation. I think that that's the most important thing. And right there in that moment, when I was a kid, maybe I realized how, how precious was this kind of wisdom that uh, listening to your ecosystem, yeah, the, the, the people that are around you in the different part of the day, because maybe at morning will be your family, then midday will be your, your work partners, then at night could be your friends. We are changing our people around and we're changing our people in, in our, our entire life. And if, if we can listen to them to integrate to our journey, definitely we, we can have a successful life, we can have a successful job, um, adventure, anything. So yeah, I always use this analogy from, from my childhood when I like get this like 
really interesting experience that anyone can use, you know, for, for our life. Um, yeah, basically that's it. And I want to thank all of the storytellers because has been amazing. One of those story of you and Lanel, well, next to you, I will obviously will enjoy your story. For me, it's very difficult to be focused on just one thing. I'm, a, I'm like, you know, like I'm always, you know, like thinking about things, but being sitting here, listening to you guys for an hour has been really interesting. And I'm so, so honored to be here. And thank you, thank you, all of you, April, Kimberly, Didi, Ryan, Mosen, you guys really are amazing. And thank you, thank you. A lot of blessings for you guys. Linnell Smith. Hey everyone, my name's Linnell Smith and I am currently on indigenous Hickoria Apache land um, here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I listen with my heart. I immediately put that down. Um, pretty much all my life I've been told I was a good listener and I just let people share and I feel it with them a lot. So that that's kind of just has always been my thing. And so a lot has come up for me um, with the prompt and then and plus hearing the beautiful stories, but I guess <clears throat> sharing a story where listening profoundly changed my life. I feel like I've been doing this all my life and every story I hear impacts me in one way or another. And I'm sorry, for some reason, I'm like very emotional. And I, what came to me immediately was my, my grandmother. She was a Diné woman and she told stories of her childhood. And she told me when she was really young, when I was really young. And I didn't realize the impact at that moment when she shared stories. She passed away about 12, 12 years ago. She lived to be about 104, and she wasn't quite sure how old she was, though, and that's just what the government assigned to her was her age. And, and I guess a lot has been on my mind with that because of um, the uncovering of children in the Canadian residential schools. And my grandmother was a product of a boarding school here in the States. And she shared stories of what that was like. Being a young child, like six or seven, and being taken from her mother and put in a school where she couldn't speak her language and she had to dress the way they dressed her being punished and abused. And I remember parts of her telling me that when I was really young, but I didn't realize how horrible that was at that time. 
because I was a child myself. But I have children, I have grandchildren, and I can imagine the pain of having them go through that. And today's my mom's birthday. And so I went back to the res and picked her up and drove her in this morning to celebrate here, take her out to a nice dinner. <clears throat> and she was talking about my grandmother on the drive. And she talked about her childhood. And I think it was um, our first storyteller talked about what I call cultural trauma, what we carry from our ancestors. We carry that forward because it's in our DNA. It's, it's a part of us. And we carry the hurts and things like that. And, but we can also like improve our lives from that. And I think that's why my grandmother shared. She wanted better for my mother and she wanted better for her children. And my mom's always done better for us. And I've carried that to my, to my children. And I watched my eldest daughter with her two children. And I think those storytellings, carrying on the traditions, culture, language, was all through listening. Even the, the hurt and the trauma is all through listening. And lots of other stuff came up. And I was thinking, like, when we sit in ceremony, you sit in prayer, you're told by your elders, you, you have to be quiet, you listen. You don't move around, you don't, you don't play. You just sit there. And you wait for the stories, you wait for the holy people to talk to you and give you wisdom and guidance. And that's what my grandmother did. She's a holy person now. And when I pray and when I sit and in silence, I ask her for her wisdom and her strength to live to be 104 in such horrible conditions as a child. She's She's strength. And so I will continue storytelling. I will continue passing on the good and the hardship that she endured for us. And I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to share. It brought up a lot for me, but I'm thankful for that. Thank you. Dinara Garengareng. Palia, uh, my name's Janara Garengareng. I'm a Waka Waka Wuli Wuli woman of the Jawanjambi Nation from central Queensland in Australia. And I currently live on the land of the Ngunnawal and the Ngambri people, and capital Canberra. The country that is commonly called Australia is known as Nanjinatia to us, which means our mother. I listen with my soul, my spirit, my Kurumpa. One of the enduring traditions in our culture is called Dadiri, deep listening. And so I'm going to read what Dadiri is. This was given to us by our, uh, by an elder from Arnhem Land who is now currently the Senior Australian of the Year. Her name is uh, Dr. Miriam Rose Ungerberg. 
So she explains what deep listening is in all the First Nations traditions of Australia. And after I read it, I'll just quietly tell you why it's so important. Dadiri is a special quality, a unique gift of the Aboriginal people. It is inner deep listening and quiet still awareness. Dadiri recognises the deep spring that is inside of us. It is something like what you call contemplation. The contemplative way of Dadiri spreads over our whole life. It renews us and brings us peace. It makes us feel whole again. In our Aboriginal way, we learn to listen from our earliest times. We could not live good and useful lives unless we listened. We are not threatened by silence. We are completely at home in it. Our Aboriginal way has taught us to be still and to wait. We do not try to hurry things up. We let them follow their natural course like the seasons. We watch the moon in each of its phases. We wait for the rain to fill our rivers and water the thirsty earth. When twilight comes, we prepare for the night. At dawn, we rise with the sun. We watch the bush foods and wait for them to open before we gather them. We wait for our young people as they grow stage by stage through their initiation ceremonies. When a relation dies, we wait for a long time with the sorrow. We own our grief and allow it to heal slowly. We wait for the right time for our ceremonies and our meetings. The right people must be present and careful preparations must be made. We don't mind waiting because we want things to be done with care. Sometimes many hours will be spent on painting the body before an important ceremony. We don't worry. We know that in time and in the spirit of the deity, the deep listening and quiet stillness, that the way will be made clear. We are like a tree standing in the middle of a bushfire, sweeping through the timber. The leaves are scorched and the tough bark is scarred and burned, but inside the tree the sap is still flowing and under the ground the roots are still strong. Like that tree, we have endured the flames and we still have the power to be reborn. Our people are used to the struggle and the long waiting. We still wait for the white people to understand us better. We ourselves have spent many years learning about the white man's ways and we have, to, we have learned to speak the white man's language and we have listened to what they had to say. This learning and the listening should go both ways and we would like people in Australia to take the time to listen deeply to us. We are hoping that people will come closer. We keep longing for the things that we have always hoped for, respect and understanding. We know that our white brothers and sisters carry their own particular burdens. We believe that if they let us come to them, if they open their minds and their hearts to us, we may lighten their burdens. There is a struggle for us, but we have not lost our sense of the deity, the deep listening. There are deep springs within each of us, and within these deep springs, which is the very spirit, is a sound. The sound of the deep calling to the deep. The time for rebirth is now. If our culture is alive and strong and respected, it will grow. It will not die and our spirit will not die. I believe the spirit of Dadiri that we have to offer will blossom and grow, not just within ourselves, but also in the whole nation. Anka Gurukur.
elder Miriam Rose Ungermer, The Aboriginal Gift Spirituality for a Nation. I was taught to deity as a very young child. It's one of the things that children are taught very early. In fact, we say that it's our first language, that our language is silence because we listen with the soul, not just with the human ears or the heart. And so we are taught to listen to the voices of the ancestors on the wind because it's there that we hear the wisdom of our elders and those who have left and those who may already be around us and with us and in our hearts. There have been many times in my life that I have learned to listen deeply and there are too many to say today. But being given to Deary was a very special thing that occurred in the 1980s during the bicentennial year here in Australia when white people were celebrating 200 years of colonisation of Australia and Aboriginal people were mourning. This uh, elder gave this gift to the nation and she's now become our Senior Australian of the Year, which is quite significant because, you know, Australia is still a difficult place to live if you're black. Although things have changed greatly in my lifetime. So when I was 21, uh, my grandparents had passed away. And so one cannot do any of the older ceremonies without your grandparents. So I was adopted by a senior elder of the Anangu, Pitnanjari, Unkadadara clan of Central Australia, where Uluru, the big red rock is. It's a very quiet and still place. And in fact, it's a place in the world where you can be very still and silent and never really have to do anything because you hear everything on the, in the silence. And it was there, going there for the last 42 years and being with those people and going through my ceremonies as an older woman, as a young woman and then an older woman, where I learned to listen deeply to the inner self but to, to also listen deeply to everybody else's inner self to such a degree that when I walk along the street, I can hear what is in people's minds and I can hear and feel their feelings. And it's, that's a gift that's been given to me from the teachings of learning how to do Didiri in a very deep way. And our language is a language of intuition, so... When, we, when my grandmother speaks to me, she doesn't talk. She sends a signal <laughs> from the soul and I pick it up. And so you can pick that up anywhere in the world. And often, you know, she'll send one and I'll, it's like get on a plane and come home to Uluru right now. And then I have to. So I, I also did my PhD with, with them, my, my second adopted Aboriginal family, and spent 11 years listening very deeply to all the important things about them and how they grow into sacred leadership. And so for me, really, I've learned everything in my life from just being silent. And, uh, you know, later on in my life, I picked up a form of Eastern meditation from India, which is taught by women, which is to keep your eyes open and just listen in silence. And it's a very, um, it's a bit like the theory. It's a very magical form of yoga. And mm -hmm. so the, the two things make me a very strong person in that sense, you know, in that inner sense. And so I've met and managed to face many things in the life as we all have faced many things, but I've faced, you know, the idea that I might go to jail, you know, that the government raided my house, 
you know, I was I was uh, nearly convicted of leaking confidential information when I was a high-level public servant. You know, I've had to put priests in jail for abuse. I've had to face all sorts of drama in various aspects of my life. And practising Didiri has really helped me just be okay with whatever comes, you know. And now that I'm in my 60s, it's like I don't really mind what happens anymore. I'm just very happy to be here and to have learned the wisdom of my elders and the wisdom of my culture and also the wisdom of, you know, Western culture. There's many things I learned from that, which has been pretty special. And, um, you know, I'm just a really happy person. So deep listening <laughs> has been very good for me. And, um, you know, it's helped me deal with sorrow and suffering and it's helped me now become the type of older person who is a guide for the younger people in our clans because that's what we do when we get older. You know, we share all the things that have happened in our lives so that, and we, we have to act a certain way so that the younger generation knows that that's how you act. And so I'm very mindful that everything that I do say, think and be in the world, other people are watching me and it's very important to be true to the self. Um, a couple of things that are staying with me are the idea of enemy is human made and it's the deep calling to the deep, the inner sense and also hearing that word as innocence. A long trajectory of listening in multiple forms. I love you so, cause you help me see, to see you in all, is to see you in me. I'm in you and you're in me. I'm in you and you're in me. We are all into each other. I feel affirmed in my waiting. And I now have a name for it, Didiri. waiting in silence, waiting for the time and the information, the understanding. Thank you for everyone. Keep your eyes open and listen in silence. I listen to the air. We tell our story to stay alive, to keep our traditions alive. It's improv starts with silence. We don't mind waiting because we want things done with care.
deep listening. Um, try not to hurry things up. Let it flow. Silence is a, is a language. Being still is a movement. And listening to the ability of, of others can illuminate our own abilities in ways that we could never imagine. I heard someone say a chronic sense of alienation. Um, explain this song is a sacred song. We don't know when it was created, but we know it was thousands of years ago because it's been passed on uh, by the women in our clans. And this is a song that tells the story of when people were on the earth were not following the law of uh, Kanyini, which is the law of harmony, um, Napaji Napaji, giving and receiving and sharing and caring, and other laws that um, the animals and the land are Aksbayami, God to take care of it and do something about it. And so he sent the rain to wash away all the negativity on the earth and the disharmony. And after the rain finished, and there's a great storm going on here, um, under the law and the animals and the land was happy again. And that this is the story of the cycle of our lives. And so I ask you to close your eyes in honour and respect of the women that wrote it thousands of years ago and passed it on down through the women of our clans. And I give it to you today because it's a healing medicine song and it has the ability to heal anything that you want to let go of. Thank you. And because the song is recorded now, it will play over and over all over the world and hopefully have an impact. <laughs>